The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Uh, I want to open to Hebrews chapter 11. We just started last week a brand new series. So if you missed last week, we started a series on Hebrews 11, and we've called it Big Faith in a Big God. And uh, if you might cast your mind back uh, about six months, we started in Hebrews looking through from chapters 1 to 10 of the Jesus being better than all these different Old Testament, you know, heroes and, you know, illustrations and types of things. And now as we come into this chapter, essentially the message is this, hold on, do what these guys did in following Christ. And our prayer for this series as a church is that we truly will, as the name suggests, deepen our faith because our God is able. Our God is big. He is strong. He's capable. And so this whole chapter being on faith, the question that this text asks of us this morning is this. What happens when faith leads us to wait? We might hear from God, God, or you might be waiting to hear from God. Maybe you're in a situation where you're looking for a job. You might be heading fresh out of uni. What do I do then? You might be thinking, I've got unsaved kids. You might be looking for a partner. There's all sorts of things you might be waiting on. God might have told you you're going to start a ministry of some description. But then it's like, well, well, now what? What do I do? I've given the title this morning, When Faith Means Wait. Because the honest truth is, so often we hear something from God, or there's something going to take place in our lives, we sense in our spirit, but then it's like there's a a red light or a pause button. What do we do then? And we're going to look at the example of a guy called Abraham through this, and hopefully we'll see. We'll see just what God wants us to do in that situation, learning from his life. It's a long-ish reading, so without any further ado, let's get stuck in. So reading from verse 8 through to verses 22. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, He as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Church, shall we pray? Father God, this morning we thank you for this word. We thank you for this, Lord, reminder of something that happened so long ago that was so pivotal in your history, in the history of your people, and is still so crucial for us to learn from today, God. God, I pray that you would minister to each and every one of our hearts, Lord God. Lord, teach us what it means to have a deep faith in you, Lord. Teach us what it means when we need to wait, God. Give us ears to hear this morning, Lord Jesus. Glorify your son in this, in this word, in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, when faith must wait, what does that mean? As I see it, as this passage unfolds, I see faith from God, God depositing in us faith, three sort of characteristics that God wants to build in us. Our characters need to grow in three key ways that I see here. The first, I believe, is this. Faith in us ought to produce patience. If we are going to be people of faith, we will be people that learn to be patient with the will of God. In fact, I think faith by its very nature suggests that we should be growing in patience. Notice what I said, grow in patience, not grow impatient. We have a tendency as humans to want to run ahead. We have a tendency to just push the bar. But God is teaching us by faith, we need to be people that learn to wait, learn to just be still and be prepared to just wait it out until God is ready to move. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, what does this whole faith thing actually mean? What do we mean when we're talking about faith? Are we talking about some sort of mystical mind power here? Are we talking about, you know, just I I think it and it's going to happen? Is it, you know, use the force, Luke? You know, is it that kind of thing? It's a bit more than that. It is, it, it, that sort of turns faith into a force. That's not what we're actually saying faith is. We touched on it last week. Faith is an assurance. Faith is the foundation of who we are. It's an assurance that what God has said is actually going to happen. An assurance that His promise will be something we experience. Just to build on that a little further, it is a confidence, a total confidence that God has the power to deliver. God has the power to keep you. God has the power to, keep, to push you through your circumstance. And I would say from there, faith causes us to be abandoned, completely abandoned to the will of God. Now I suggest to you that's not an easy thing to do in the human way. It's only possible through God. And we read that without this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think it's because of this. Faith is one of those things we we look at sometimes in the miraculous aspect of faith. We look at things that are happening in the third world and other places, like God's doing miracles there. We're not seeing it here. Is, Is God any different? I don't think so. I think the reason is this. 
people have simply clung to less of the trappings of this life. They have clung to God. And by the way, that doesn't mean that we need to hit rock bottom to have that kind of faith. What it means to me is this, we need to see the destitution of this earth. You don't have to physically be in that place. Do you hear what I'm saying? We don't necessarily have to have no hope in an earthly sense, but we realize these things are hopeless. Instead, we see that all of our hope, all of our lives belong in the will of God. When we see that, that's where I believe we'll see those miraculous things happen. But first and foremost, I mean, I hear a lot about the faith that will move mountains, but we've got to remember first that before anything else, faith is what we need to please God. This trust, this abandon to His will, this confidence. So that's kind of, I guess, our building block, if you like. Let's start from there. So with that in mind, faith needs to produce patience. God promises Abraham He's going to do some amazing things in this man's life. God promises Abraham there's going to be land that will be his, and not just a block of land, like a a country, a nation. And there'll be a people that will fill that nation. We know that as Israel. God promises it to this man. Now, Abraham believes. He believes at this point. But let's, let's just look at the tail of the tape here. He was roughly 75 when God said this to him. And he says, get up from where you are, Abraham. Start moving. Move around to the promised land. And if you know the story, he does this huge arc through the Middle East to get to modern-day Israel. But that process took years and years. The text tells us he lived in tents. He spent his life in tents. He didn't get too rooted down in this life. And he passed that on to Isaac, who passed that on to Jacob. This was their life. They had eyes on something else. But as if that's not enough, Abraham has no child at this point. 75 years old. His wife's in her mid-60s. They're kind of past that childbearing age, physically speaking. And God says, you're going to have a child. There's going to be an inheritance for you to pass on. And there's Abraham thinking, all right, God, let me help you out here. I've got a servant. Surely that's going to go to them. No, 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 Abraham. You're going to have a son. And what does Abraham do? He converses with Sarah, like all good husbands and wives do. And she's like, Abraham, this ain't going to happen. I'm not going to be able to give you that child. But I do have a servant. Her name's Hagar, and we know how that went. A little boy called Ishmael turned up on the scene. And Abraham's thinking, okay, well, is Ishmael the heir? Is this the one? And God says, no, no, there's another one coming by this time next year. By the way, that wasn't at 75. That was at 99 by this point. Now, those of you who've been praying for God to do something, you've been waiting a year or two years, 24 years, 24 years waiting for God's promise to come to fruition. But it did. But you think that's big. You think that's big. Stop and think about this. From the time that Abraham was spoken to at 75 to the time that Jacob enters into Egypt and reunites with his lost son, Joseph, we're talking about 200 years has gone. And then Abraham's told, hey, listen, this nation of yours will be strangers in a land not their own. They will be slaves for 400 years. And then I will take them into the land that I promise you. Now you do the maths. It's over half a millennium, 600 years from promise to fulfillment. I submit to you, God's timescale might be a little different to yours and mine. And that's okay. That's totally okay. 
Abraham needed to exercise tremendous patience. And yeah, okay, he stuffed it up a little bit. But for the most part, his eyes on God has given. God has given. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to wake this out and see what God is going to do. And church, for you and me, we need to act with this kind of patience. Our faith in God needs to be, you know what, God, you've said it. You've promised it. It's in my heart. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to wake this out. Now, I'm going to submit to you, this is a little countercultural for us, especially here in the West. This is a real struggle because we live in a day of national broadband networks and smartphones and, you know, fast cars. We live in a time of, you know, instant meals, instant coffee. Well, okay, instant coffee. That's the one thing people wait for, I notice now. That's about the only thing. Instant coffee's a, a, a bygone era. But everything else, we, we, we don't like to wait. Buy now, pay later. If it feels good, let's do it. But God calls us to march to a different rhythm. Not the rhythm of this world that says, do this, do that, so it feels good for you. God says, wait and see what I will do. Have the faith in me, and I promise you, you won't be disappointed, but you're going to have to wait. God has, God has huge things for you and for me, brother, sister, and he, he has a plan that is for your good, but it just might mean you need to wait it out. And it means that you don't need to help God out either, like Abraham did, taking matters into your own hands. We don't have to do that. We need to have that belief in God that says, God has said it, I'm just going to cling to that. I'm going to hang on to that. And if it means I'm going to have to wait, so be it. Because what God delivers is going to be far greater than what I can make happen. It's going to be far greater than what this world can give me. So faith needs to produce patience in us. Now you might be, you might be hearing that this morning and you say, all right, I get it. Faith, patience. Help me to wait. Help me to be still. But does that then mean I kind of sit in the corner and just wait for things to happen? Does that mean that I'm just going to, you know, be one with the world? Or, mm, you know, just wait on God or something. Is it just sitting in the corner? And I, I had a friend who was like this, who, who he was in the church and he, life was always about that for him. It was kind of like, you know, I'm just going to wait on God and see what God does. I've heard so many stories waiting on God, waiting on God, waiting on God, and they die and they don't fulfill what God wants them to do. There, I'm going to submit to you, church, there is a tension. We need to be patient. We need to wait. But we also need to realize faith is active. Faith calls us to do. And in this case, I see faith calling us to be a people that is obedient. It's not just a matter of waiting, but there are steps we do take, even in the interim, that God is calling us to. If faith is the sort of, you know, general direction, the destination, obedience is the road. Obedience is the way that we get there. You've only got to look at someone like Jonah to know that if you don't go down that road, God will probably still get you there anyway. God's purpose will still be achieved. There's just a bit more pain and you might smell like whale guts. We see here in this text that Abraham didn't just sit in a corner or, 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 or whatever and wait for God to transport him. He had to get up and go. He had to, as I said, he had to live in a tent for most of his life, most of his life thereafter. In fact, there are four things that it, it, we notice here about Abraham's behavior. Abraham is obeying God and yet he doesn't know when this whole thing is going to actually take place. We read in verse 8 that despite not knowing 
where this land actually was, he lived in tents. And as I said, he passed it down to Isaac, passed it down to Jacob. He didn't know how God was going to bring this about either. I mean, he's looking at him, he's looking at Sarah, he's thinking, father of a great nation. All right, God, I don't get it, but you've got this, God. You've got this worked out. He had no concept of how God would accomplish his will. As if that's not enough, he doesn't know when this will take place. As I said, the wait was a really, really long time. 600 years in essence. And as if, as if that's not enough, God has finally delivered Isaac. He's given him that long waited for son. And at about, I don't know, 15, 16 years of age, God says, offer him to me. Why would God do that? Why would God ask him that? You have waited for, for years and years. You've been barren all of your life. And now suddenly Isaac comes on the scene. Isaac, the embodiment of the promise of God. He's, in, in this one man is the future. In this one man, the Messiah is going to come eventually. And then God says, offer him to me. Give him to me, your only son whom you love. Sounds a bit like Jesus a bit, doesn't it? Offer him to me. Why would God do that? I'm going to suggest to you that Abraham may have wrestled with this, but there was something in him that said, you know what? God said, this boy is going to be the promise. This boy is going to be my future. And I don't know how it's all going to work, God, but I think somehow you're going to do something miraculous. You're going to do something that restores him back to me. You're going to bring this boy back into my life. God, I will show you that I love you more than him, but I'm also believing you're going to act in a way that is just going to deepen my trust in you. You're going to do something amazing. And we read there in Hebrews 11, we read there that in a manner of speaking, it says, in a manner of speaking, verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And this boy, because he says in Genesis 22, he says, the servant asks him, where are you going? And he says, we are going to worship and we will come back. We, not me, we, me and my boy, we're coming back. Somewhere deep down in his heart, he knew God was going to be faithful. He knew God could be trusted and so he obeys. This is incredible. This man has been promised so much and it's, it's now finally within reach and God says, do this, but he says, okay, God, I don't know. I don't know what you want to do, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. We also read something amazing that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all had eyes, not just on a strip of land in Israel, but it had eyes on a heavenly country. That is, that is huge. I submit to you, church, that's massive because this is before Jesus, this is before Jesus come on the scene. And yet they've got eyes on what God is doing. That suggests to me they weren't too tied to the things of this earth. That suggests to me that they have taken God at his word. God is going to redeem. And it's going to be something more than just bricks and mortar. It's going to be more than just the dirt that we're walking on. There's something bigger God has called us all to. And eyes on Heaven, eyes on a heavenly country, a better country. And we read in verse 16 that therefore God was not ashamed to, call, to be called their God. That's salvation language, church. That's gospel. That's covenant. That's God saying, 
you know, it reminds me of Jesus. Whoever acknowledges me, I will acknowledge before the Father. They have seen that there's something greater than just the cares of this life. They don't get it. They don't see what God's doing, but they know God's up to something. God has called them into this walk with Him. And church, honestly, that should speak to us. We must also recognize, we've got to see that we are also called to this heavenly country. We've got to see that God wants us to be obedient, to walk in a way that is eyes on heaven, eyes on Him, intimacy with Him. Further on in Hebrews, it says that our lives are just like this and we are waiting for an enduring city. See, the city speaks of permanence, solidarity. It speaks of something that won't be moved, not like a tent. Not like something you just wrap on and wrap up and move on. No, this is home. This is home. And we're talking about a heavenly home here. A home that the things of this earth won't be able to touch. And God says, they had eyes on that. I want you to have eyes on that. I want you, my people, the Hebrews who there was written to, us reading this today, have your eyes on the heavenly calling. Have your eyes on this country. It speaks volumes to me. I don't know if I'm materialistic terribly so, but if I'm really honest, I am more than I realize. And if we're all honest, we all are more than we think. We, t- we hold to this earth much more than we are willing to admit to ourselves. And church, we are called, we're called to obey our loving Father. Faith that will work itself out in obedience with eyes on heaven. James wasn't kidding when he said, faith without works is dead. I submit to you, faith without obedience isn't faith. Obedience works itself out in us doing things. See, church, we are just pilgrims passing through when it comes down to it. God wants us to make a difference here and now, but with eyes looking to Him, to please Him. The way I see it, if we try and separate obedience and patience from faith, it'd be like taking the roots out from under a tree and expecting it to bear fruit. They go together. There's no way around that. Faith must be patient and faith must be obedient. God calls this in our character. Now you might hear this, but you might sort of say, well, okay, promises. Yeah, I get it. God wants me to do. God has a will for me. That's awesome. So does that then depend on my action? Is it all about what God wants to do for me? Has God got something in it just for me? I want to suggest to you, faith doesn't just look at this generation. Faith looks at the future generations as well. Faith causes us to be legacy oriented. Faith causes us not to just look at my own two feet, not to just stare at my navel, but to see there's a road ahead. There are people that are going to come after me that need to know of this God. There are people that need to walk in the intimacy that I've got with God. Faith causes us to look forward, church. See, consider this. Abraham was old, childless, and finally he gets his child, Isaac. He blesses, he raises him up in that way. Isaac, in turn, passed this on to his children. And in his dying days, he blesses Jacob and Esau. And by the way, he blesses the younger, as we know the story. And then Jacob, as if to show that this is not just a one-off thing, he switches his hands and blesses the younger of Joseph's sons. 
Now, by the way, and Joseph, Joseph finishes up in his dying days at the end of Genesis, he finishes up by saying, there is a future for Israel. There is a future for the people that my great-grandfather was promised. Take me there. Take my bones there. Do you sense a pattern here, by the way? Do you sense a pattern? God is working through the weak. God is working through the lowly. This is what I was saying at the beginning. Faith, we need to come from a position of weakness. Not because we're, there's anything that's bad about us necessarily, but because we need to see we are nothing without Jesus. We are absolutely helpless without Christ. And God giving grace to the weak, that's where the blessing has come. That's where the blessing has come for these people. It's no different for us now. Because again, as I say, it's not about us being at rock bottom in the physical, but in the spiritual, we see this world has nothing for me. This world has nothing to give me, but my everything is in Jesus. We read in 1 Corinthians that Paul acknowledges this to the church. He says, guys, you weren't called because you were smart. You weren't called because you were strong. You were noble, beautiful, any of that. God chose the foolish to put to shame the wise. God chose the weak, the lowly, the least esteemed. What's the reason for that, by the way? The reason for that is so God may have the glory. Faith is all about us focused on Him, church. Focused on heaven. And God allowing, that's, that's the meaning of grace, isn't it? Lifting the weak, lifting those who can't help themselves. When we see our abject need of God, that's where His grace shines the brightest. And as I said, it doesn't have to be in the worst circumstance, so to speak. But when we see that this earth holds nothing for us, weakness. So these blessings that are passed down, let's quickly talk about those. Isaac, as I mentioned, blessing Jacob and Esau. And there's no mention of Jacob's trickery in Hebrews. Because even though human, you know, disasters happen, all this kind of thing, God still works it for his good. God still brings these things about for the benefit of the kingdom, even if we might be up to something that's no good. Jacob had ulterior motives, but he received the blessing. And then we see Jacob in his, in his many advanced days, it says that he worshipped as he leaned upon his staff. We know that he wrestled with God and he limped thereafter. Just a reminder again, we are nothing without God. Our, our humanness, we need him. We need him. And he, again, does the same thing. He, pour, he The future of the nation, which they haven't really seen yet, all the way, they're still a long way off from this nationhood, which was the promise all along. And yet there's blessing for each of the tribes and blessing for the sons of Joseph. And then we get to Joseph and, man, you want to talk about faith. You want to talk about a guy that was an example. Sold off by your brothers, enslaved, lied about by your your master's wife, thrown into prison. You interpret dreams and you ask for a favor and you're still forgotten about. And what has happened? He becomes the second most powerful guy in all of Egypt and saves his family. Incredible. And yet he knew, despite the riches that he would have no doubt been a part of, despite the fact he's no longer living in a tent, he saw, no, this isn't home. This isn't where I belong. 
and he prophesies, if you like, the very last things in, in Genesis. He says, you know, that we're going to go into slavery, guys, but this is not our home. We're going to go back home one day. And when we do, take my bones there. I don't belong here. I belong in Israel. My, and, and more than that, we have a heavenly hope. We have a heavenly country that we are to be aiming for. Leon Morris, an Australian theologian, said this amazing thing about these gentlemen. He said that with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and you can probably extend it further if you like, their conviction was that death cannot frustrate God's purposes. I challenge you with this. Anything God says to you, it's going to be bigger than your life. It's not about, it's not a small business that you wrap up and retire and and that's it. God wants you to hand it down. God wants you to hand things on to the next generation. I tell you in my, how many of you, someone left a legacy for you to come to Jesus? You probably don't even talk to them anymore. The person who led me to Christ isn't with us anymore. They're in heaven. And, and I want to leave that for my children. And I know you do for your kids, for your grandkids, all that kind of thing. Take a look around you, by the way. What about this building? It's not that exciting. But I'll tell you what, somebody, nobody saw this 80 years ago. And they're not going to imagine what God's going to do with this space in a few years' time. I don't think we can even imagine what God's going to do with it. For Parramatta Christian Church's glory, no way. For the kingdom of God. For God to be honoured in this city. And what about the ministry God's called you to? What about that thing you're waiting on that God still hasn't done? When he does it, I'll guarantee it'll be bigger than your life. And he'll want you to get someone to keep that going. And you might think, what ministry? I I don't want to stand on a stage. I don't have that ability. I don't have that access. Have a listen to this story. As As we sort of draw to a close, have a think about this. In Bournemouth in England somewhere in London, I think this is, there was a pastor by the name of Francis Dixon and he had just heard a story, just heard two stories, two sailors had told him about their coming to Christ and they didn't know each other but they both had one striking detail about their salvation. They had been in Sydney. Some of you may know this story, it's a true story. They'd been in Sydney and walked down George Street in the city and there was a chap who was in the shop window and he stepped down and he said, Sir, do you know what's going to happen to you if you die tonight? Will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? They came back to England and they found the Lord. This pastor's like, this is really, really weird. So Francis was actually set to come to Australia later that year. And he went to Adelaide and he shared this story. And he shared the story. The guy says, hey, hey, I'm another one. I met this guy. I was in Sydney several years ago. And then after that, he went to Perth. And the same story, somebody in Perth had also had this. Francis is like, oh, I've got to meet this guy. I've got to meet this man. And so his tour takes him to Sydney. And he asks around, and he says, yeah, I, I, I know who you're talking about. There's a guy called Frank Jenner. And he, he shares in George Street. And he goes, I've got to meet him. He tells him the story. Tells him story after story of these men who have found the Lord because of his simple testimony. And Frank said this. He said, I've shared the gospel every day with 10 people for 16 years. I haven't heard of one soul who's come to the Lord. But so many did. He did it probably for about 30 years and then he went to be with the Lord. 
Over 100,000 people this man reached. And let me tell you, there was no technique about it. There was no training. There was no stage. This man just obeyed the Lord. You want to talk about patience, obedience, a legacy. This man embodied that. I want to tell you, I want to walk like that. I want a faith that is deep like that, that will trust God no matter where He takes me. Church, we know the road has twists. We know it has turns, but we also know God is faithful. We know God has given us a promise. We've got to hang on to it. Because the truth is faith means that we cannot see where the road's going to take us. We can't see what God's going to do but we just know that He will bring it to fruition if we trust in Him. And do you know the honest truth? If we don't, He'll bring it about in someone else's life. But God's purpose won't be thwarted. Jesus wasn't lying when He said, the gates of hell cannot prevail against my church. It was no joke. And God's purpose is not gonna be thwarted. God will bring it about, church. Be faithful. Let's pray for a faith that causes us to be patient. Let's pray for a faith that causes us to obey Him, no matter what the cost. Let's pray that our faith causes us to see beyond the the path immediately in front of us and think about those that are coming behind so we can pass on this amazing gospel to them. Church, will you pray with me as as we close? Father, we thank you this morning for your faithfulness, God. Lord, we thank you for this little seed of faith you have deposited in each and every one of us, God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that the question is not so much about the faith in us. It's are we going to put that in you, Lord? The power of faith is not the power that is in me or in anyone here. It's in the one who we put our faith in. Father, let us see you truly are a big God who deserves big faith from us big trust, complete abandonment to Your will. Father, I want to ask this morning for anyone this morning who is discouraged, Lord, and seeing that, Lord, maybe the purposes of God haven't quite been fulfilled in my life. God, I want to ask for encouragement for that person this morning. I want to ask, Lord, for breakthrough. But most of all, Lord, I want to ask for persistence, God, that we will not let go of what You have put in our lives. God, you were faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God, but best of all, you haven't changed, Lord. You are to be believed here and now. And so God, I pray for everyone here this morning, every home represented, that we would be characterized by that kind of faith, Lord. Lord, give us such a heart for you and for your kingdom and for your purpose in our lives, Lord, that nothing will put us off. Lord, if the wait is six months or six years or whatever, God, we don't care. We just want to serve You. We just want to have faith in You so that when we see You in that heavenly country, You'll say, well done. Father, we thank You for Your presence here, Lord. Lord, speak to our hearts, Lord, not just now, Lord. Let us not walk away and just say, good message, God. We want to be changed. Lord, we want that kind of faith, Lord. Lord, there isn't a person in this room who can't get closer to you, Lord. 
no matter where we are. God, take us on that journey this year. Take us on that journey even this week, Lord. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.